Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and uh, missed all the little bit of sickness and things that are that are going uh, that are going around. Um, but if you turn your, with me to your Bibles, you'll notice that we're at the end of Romans chapter two today. Uh, where we at, Micah? About twenty sermons deep or so right now. So we're about twenty sermons in. And uh, you can divide, you can figure out how many weeks that is pretty easy. I mean, I'm not good at math and I can figure that out. And, uh, and so you can also look ahead to see, how man, how many sermons you're going to have? And I said, well, there's no telling. And, but we're going to enjoy it today as, as we have been. Uh, going to be talking about the basis of our security this morning. And so let it stand to our feet, Romans 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 29 this morning. And remember, recall, I know we've had a lot going on over the holidays and, and, and whatnot, that his, his focus right now is, is the Jewish people. And the, the subject matter that they've been dealing with is this issue of judgment. Uh, present judgment in chapter 1, now future judgment of both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and everybody else. But he's come back to this issue of the Jewish people. What is the basis of of their security and our security? And so this is why he leans in here, as he has been in verse 25. He says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and, the, and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. And uh, Lord, we are removed from this culture in context, and so we need your help today to, to build a bridge from their context to ours, to application in their life and the application of our life. And uh, Lord, your word is enough. Scripture is sufficient for these things. And so help us, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth today and then to apply it into our life. Lord, as we see here in your word, Nothing happens of eternal value in our life without the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us now. Spirit, help us to be comforted, to be corrected, to be oriented, to be renewed, to be loved now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this question we're going to ask, we'll ask in the beginning, we're going to come back to this exact same question at the end. What is the basis for my security? Or, what is the basis for my lack of security? 
I'm going to turn here. I keep feeling like I'm looking over here more. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any of y'all in mind here. I don't know why I'm, I'm more, I'm left, I'm left-handed. That's what it is. And, uh, and I'm, I'm trying. You holler at me back there if I don't look at you. So what's the basis of it? And, and we know this is important. The, the importance of security in, in our life is important. We have uh, alarms on our houses and our cars. We get our concealed carry permits. And there's multiple of us in here that have them. I hate the pity the guy that comes walking here and thinks he can get by with something. We also have insurance. What do we have insurance on? Everything. <laughs> insurance on our cars, insurance on our houses, insurance on nice rings on our fingers and on our very lives. Notice how this illustration is moving us from the present to the future. We have wills. We, we get involved in our estate planning for not, for not only is our security important to us, but the security of those who come after us is important to us. But have you ever seen those houses that have the sign out in the front yard like ADT? They don't have ADT. They just got the sign. The question is, what kind of security does that really provide? It doesn't provide any. But it does give them a false security, a counterfeit security. It's like having a life insurance policy on a piece of paper that you stop paying the premiums on. You know, and, and feel like you can find some kind of security from this million-dollar policy that you forgot to pay three years ago. It's a false security, be it churched or unchurched. You can have a counterfeit security. I was talking to one of my buddies the other day because we have this common person in our life that, that, it, that, is, that never dawns the door of a church and, and, and just you know, lives their life really the way they want to live. But yet, if you ask them if they were a Christian, of course they would say, like everybody in Kings Mountain and Shelby and wherever you're from, they would say, this, most of them would say the same thing. Oh, yeah. So they're going, so what's giving them security for that? What's their basis of that? We was discussing this, just this one particular person, but I think it pretty well laid out I'm a good person. I'm moral. I know God. So that's a good one, isn't it? Mere information supposedly translating to relationship where that doesn't work in any other arena of life. <laughs> you know, I can just know something about somebody and now I'm their best buddies. That's not the way it works. Plus, we oftentimes can have an unbiblical idea of God. So what God are we really knowing when the God that you love doesn't match the biblical God? And that's the issue, the third one, is they really believe that God loves them. But here's the issue. If you, can, if you have a construct in your mind of a God that doesn't biblically exist, and that God you say loves you, exactly how does that give you security? It's a counterfeit security. Here's another question that Paul just begins, and you're just going to have to realize that Paul's got a lot more to say about all kind of things. 
especially about this question. What does it mean to be a true Jew? He's going to begin to answer it, but he's going to fully answer it in Romans 9 to 11, and we'll get there one day. It was interesting. I, I ran in across an interview uh, from Ben Shapiro and a Catholic priest. And Ben asked the Catholic priest, So, how am I going to stack up in the judgment? Right? Just, just ask him a very direct way. How am I going to stack up in the judgment? So, uh, I'm, a, I'm a good moral person. There's that one. Um, I keep the, because Ben's a Jewish, Jewish guy. I, I keep the Ten Commandments, plus I keep all the other 600 and something laws. <laughs> I thought, I chuckled at myself when he said that, but you know, just taking him at his word there. And, but he asked this of the Catholic priest, how am I going to stack up in the judgment? Just, just a perfect opportunity, gospel opportunity there. Instead, what the Catholic priest is, is quoted some, some Vatican council that says, well... Christianity is the better way, but as long as you sincerely follow your Jewish faith, you're going to make it to heaven. As long as you're sincere. See, here's, that's the issue, isn't it? What has this guy given this man but a counterfeit security based off nothing that the Bible says? Not to who God is and not what God has revealed. So this is the issue. In light of the future judgment of all people, the basis of our security is the inward circumcision of the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's foundational. But let's talk about it a little bit. What is this our security is not and then what it is? So first, what it's not. So the counterfeit culture, the counterfeit culture, the counterfeit comfort that's going on here is that of outward ritualism. Outward ritualism. Now, this is the only caveat I'm going to give here because, you know, Paul doesn't give one. He's going to explain it as, as, a time, as time unfolds and his letters unfold. He's not saying that these rituals are bad, and I'm not saying yours are. But if the basis of your security is these rituals, you're in trouble. So that's what's the counterfeit comfort. So verse 25. I know, I know I'm, I said to myself, man, if you read this out loud with me, you'll say the word circumcision more in, in this few couple sentences than you said in three years. And you know, we don't talk like this, but Jewish people thought like this. And we got to understand their culture and context to understand ours. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed of value. Now that's important. If you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So what is this circumcision? Why did God require it of his people? Let's talk about what it ended up to start with. Why, why it was he was treating it is almost if it was a bad thing. You can almost take it that way, though it's not. It was the Jewish belief that, that this was a core basis of their eternal security. We've already talked about the law and the covenant, and the law, the covenant, and circumcision. They're, they're 
inseparably bound together in the mind and worldview of a Jewish person. And so they've already tried to play those two cards, and, and Paul's already kicked his legs, so to speak, out from under those. And so they have this last one to play. But the Jews really did believe this, that circumcision was a guarantee of their future passing through the judgment into the very presence of God. They believed it, listen, because they were taught it. They were taught it by their rabbis. They were taught it by their teachers. It is absolutely amazing to study history, even Babylon's history, and find out what we believe oftentimes, not because it's biblical, but because some guy with some fancy robe on taught it to us. The rab- one rabbi says this, Our former rabbis have said a circumcised man w- will never see hell. Another writing, Jewish writing, says circumcision saves from hell. Another Jewish writing says God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. And yet then another book of Jewish writing says, It is taught that Abraham sits before the gates of hell and does not allow any circumcised Israelite should enter. This is a little funny thing. But sitting there going, wouldn't that be a dull job for Abraham? Get up in the morning and say, what are you doing today? Well, i got to go down to the gates of hell and try to make sure no Jew gets in there. I'm sitting there going, wow. <laughs> Not very heaven-like for him, is it? But this is what they were taught. And this is what they believed. It provided them assurance on something that was meant to point them to something greater. That's the danger of ritualism. See, the flow of God's historical plan from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15 to Genesis 17 to Exodus 20. The calling of Abraham. The faith and obedience of Abraham. The covenant to Abraham. The circumcision of God's people. And then the law. God called Abraham, and Abraham believed, and Abraham obeyed. God circumcised them, pulled them as a part of the people. The law comes later. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant that involved a commitment to obedience to their God. Obedience is the point here. And if you break the law, look at verse 25. If you break the law, then it's just like you hadn't been circumcised. Now that's sobering news to a Jewish person. And it's meant to be. Remember, the law doesn't offer us salvation. It points us to the problem. We cannot keep it. The Jews should have responded the same way Abraham responded. By faith. It was by faith he responded, and then he obeyed. Authentic faith, Abrahamic faith, is an obedient faith. What about your faith? That's the issue. Circumcision marked off. It identified the very people of faith. That's the issue. 
not simply a people of a particular ethnic, geographic, cultural region. It marked them off from the world. It separated them to God. It united them so that they could be used by God. Remember, they are the ones that embrace the mission that they are supposed to take this good news from darkness and take it to light. But instead, the Jewish people took the law. They took the covenant. And they even took circumcision. And they rose up in their pride because they thought that somehow they were entitled to it. And they began to set as judges over other people. That's what religion can do to us if we're not careful. Listen to what our Lord said. Matthew 12, verse 41. Matthew 12, 41. It's beginning of verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So you can embrace your religious tradition and your cultural and your religious ritualism and miss the greater Even in Jesus' day, the Jews were still missing the whole point, didn't they? I think we say especially in his day. Matthew 23, 5 says, They do everything they do is done for other people to see it. That's their, that's their object of worship. So, he's effectively trying to the best of his might in love. To kick that last leg of circumcision of them depending on that for salvation out from under them. So how do we embrace this today? How do we understand it? We've got to be able to look at this and say, what's the principle that I need to pull out of this that is timeless? The correcting principle. Outward ritualism cannot produce what God requires. Outward ritualism cannot produce what God requires. Again, verse 25, for circumcision is of no is of value only if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. The issue is faith and obedience, not some ritual that you're trusting in. In other words, authentic faith, and how many times have we said this? Authentic faith produces an obedient faith, not only in Abraham, but also in us. This is the same message from the old into the new. When God said it this way, faith that does not express itself in action is counterfeit. Do you remember the first king of the Jewish people, Saul? Tall, good-looking, what everybody thought a king would be. 
And he was told to wait one time before they went to battle on Samuel to offer a sacrifice. And you remember what he did? He didn't wait. Let's know what Samuel said. Verse Samuel 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. The issue is faith and obedience. The issue was not what kind of sacrifice. The issue was not the sacrifice. The issue was not the burnt offering. There was nothing wrong with those. God had given those to them. But the issue was that he missed the point. That the Lord requires obedience. He said you were comforted by your circumcision. And you should have been troubled by your sin. Sam Storms this week was incredibly helpful. He, list, he listed for us and in, in us as we try to understand and put this in our context, different forms of ritualism within the church that might have brought us, bring us comfort or have brought us comfort throughout the years. There's a high church ritualism. One dresses up in, like a priest, got the robe, maybe a little dangly thing on his neck or something. Maybe he's got a little, little young kid walking behind him with the incense swinging back and forth, you know. I'm not knocking those things. I used to go, I used to go back and forth when my kids were young between TBN and the Catholic Channel just so they could see. You ask yourself which one is, seems to be reflecting God's character more. This other guy's rolling around on the floor laughing. But this was a more high church ritualism. People felt caught up in this experience. That experience, all of that comforted them. Their faith felt more real, therefore they felt more secure. But make no mistake, there's lower forms of ritualism too. Be it our hymnity or our praise music. It was interesting in the, in the mid-20th century, the early 20th century Southern Baptists settled on their own set of ritualism. See, if you grew up as a, as a Southern Baptist, you could go to any church, no matter where it was, and it would be basically the same. See if this sounds familiar to you. A prelude place, by the way, this is programmed and taught. Just, just, I know you think your pastor came up with it. It's not true. A prelude plays as people come into the worship center. A hymn that leads to the preacher praying and then making some announcements. Another song is played that leads to the offertory prayer. Then a special music selection is played. After the music selection is played, a 30-minute message, maybe 35, is offered, followed by an invitation with a song either as like Just As I Am or Have Thine Own Way, Lord, is played. And then the pastor invites spontaneously 
Deacon Bob or somebody to close in a closing prayer. Sound familiar? Oh, don't think you're a Southern Baptist and you don't have rituals. That provided comfort to you. Comfort to us. And we just got through talking about this, didn't we? Buildings providing comfort to us. We're not knocking those things. Maybe you like a hollering preacher and maybe you just wish I would lower my voice and calm down. Right? Just talk to me. I don't need you to holler at me. Right? You're laughing. Say, you know, just get you a stool, sit up there, and just talk. Of course, then all of you would go to sleep. You know, you might speak, I hadn't really heard a sermon, and, you know, somebody's not thumping the pulpit, or if I start thumping this, everything falls off, you know. But do do you get my point? We're not knocking one thing or the other. But to believe that some experience repeated somewhat regularly over and over again gives you some kind of security is a delusion. And you can have them. We could sit down now and talk about the rituals that you set up in your own life. We treat Scripture like a witchcraft to say it over and over again like it's some magic potion. And we never sit back and say, what is this saying? How does this reflect God? And how do I bring glory and honor to Him through His Word? Any of these things that are good things can be a dangerous thing when we make it a main thing because you see, the whole time, the whole time, we are hiding our real selves from other people. Don't want people to see it. This drives, by the way, legalism. This legalistic battle, thinking that God is more pleased for me if I do X, Y, and Z. And so preachers and politicians learn how to manipulate you by giving you something to do. And then telling you God's going to bless you if you do it. It's an abomination. Any of us know this is true. We're scared to death to let our real selves out so that we may be healed, we may be forgiven, and we may be set free. We sing it every week, but we don't believe it on the inside because we don't have anybody that we can just be real with because we come to church and we always do the same stinking thing week in and week out and week in and week out and nobody knows the real me. Come on now. We can miss the point, just like the Jewish people. We as believers have already agreed with God about our sinfulness, past, present, and future. He's already told us that we have been declared right before God because of the work of Jesus Christ, and it is finished. We are adopted, forgiven. It's just not a song to us. So why are we hiding behind things? We ought to be the most honest and real and transparent and childlike people in all the world. Paul is knocking away every temporal man-made hope from you and the Jews so that your only hope may be Christ. 
That's a wonderful thing for him to do. Then what is the basis of our security? This is the main part of the, his point here. Verses 28 and 29. The absolute comfort of inward change. The absolute comfort of inward change. Verse 28. Now this is not me saying this. And he's got more to say about this. But this is foundational. What he's about to say. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. If we start at the end and work our way up. We can see in verse 29 then, then God will only approve. He will only praise the person that has a new heart. So do you see, brothers and sisters today, there is no other way. Because there's only one name given among heaven whereby you might be saved. There is only one Holy Spirit that that does this work. And unless you have that work, You will not be approved on that day. And that's the context of this passage. Our final day is coming. God's going to honor those that are truly his people. How do you know that you're truly one of his people? What he's saying is outward conformity and rituals and even ethnic identity can't do it. Because it has no power to save you. The Spirit of God is the only one that has the power to save. The Spirit of God is the only one that can transform the inward man so that the outward man obeys him from a a clean heart. Remember, you can't climb the... Who can climb the hill of the Lord? Paul didn't start this idea that you need a new heart. It's not Paul's idea. It's God's idea that's been spoken in the Old Testament from the very beginning. Deuteronomy 10, 16, God tells His people to circumcise their hearts. Listen to this, verse 10, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, 16 says, Circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and, and the widow and the, loves the sojourner and gives him food and clothing. Love the sojourner. Do you get the point? And unless there's some kind of change in us, when there is a change in us, When our heart changes, we begin to do the things that we see our God doing, to love the things that we see our God loving. I don't have to bait and switch you for it. I know when God's people aren't faithfully generous that there is not, a, not just a financial problem in your life, there is a heart problem in your life. And God does too. You see, they can't circumcise your own heart. We must, to in order to obey the law with a clean heart, we must. 
But here's what redemptive history has proven. We can't. And so the promise was given in Ezekiel 36. Something good is coming. Something better is coming. Something new is coming. Ezekiel 36 and verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be cleansed clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what must happen. This is what gives you security. And if this doesn't happen foundationally in your life, you will simply add ritualism or anything else trying to find something that only the Spirit of God can give you. That's why Nicodemus came to Jesus. Do you remember John 3? Comes to him at nighttime because he knew there was something to this Jesus. And he was, remember, he was Pharisee. He was one of the religious. He was top of the food chain. I mean, he could quote the Old Testament to you. But he didn't understand it. And Jesus didn't get into a whole lot of small talk with him. He got right to it. And John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how in the world is that possible? I mean, you don't even make any sense. You're one of those literal thinkers. Are you kidding me? Verse 5, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Why do you marvel that I said to you, you must be born again? Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand that this has been the point that the Bible of redemptive history has been pointing to, it's been pointing to me. The letter of the law can't do what the Spirit can do. The Word of God is the sword. And we use it. But it is the Spirit that gives life. Romans chapter 7 verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see what Paul is really doing? He's defining what it means to be a true Jew. Again, quoting Sam Storms. He says, he couldn't be more explicit than this. The true Jew, the true Israelite is not the man or woman who has Abraham's blood in his veins, but the one who has Abraham's faith in his heart. The mark of the kingdom child is circumcision. 
It is circumcision, but it's the circumcision of the heart. This determines who God's covenant people are. This determines who passes through the door of God's judgment. Because who's the door? Jesus is. Jesus is the door. And only those who have faith in Him get, go through the judgment. Everybody else are separated with the goats and cast into a place of conscious torment in the presence of God and the presence of His angels because that's what Scripture has said. See, it's important. It's important to give people true assurance and it's important not to give people false assurance. The absolute principle here that we then pull out of this, the timeless principle, is inward change produces outward obedience. An obedience that is pleasing to God. An obedience that He requires. So, inward change produces Christ-like obedience. What does this authentic security then produce in your life? What is it going to look like? Well, it's going to look like absolute assurance. We have to go to John 10, don't we? John, John chapter 10. I, I don't know a better passage to go to. I've got a couple that I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation because it's just so clear. By the way, you notice that oftentimes I'll read out of it and also Pastor Micah reads out of it. That means it is impactful in our devotional life. That we, we enjoy reading it because it's clear and it helps us move into application into our life. John chapter 10 and verse 7 says, He explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. These are wolves in your life that tells you there another way. And all they're going to lead is not only you to destruction, but everybody that you impact for the kingdom your whole life long can be derailed by simply not reading John 10 and saying there's only one door, there's only one gate to the sheep. And those that are truly been changed from the inside out, follow the shepherd. And nobody else does. But look what he says. Skip down to verse 27. It says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand, and the Father and I are one. That security. Is this your father? 
Because this is the only really true Father that ultimately matters eternally. This is not a security that ebbs and flows depending on how well you did this week. This is a security that rests in a sovereign Father and a risen brother. Absolute security. Empowering freedom. Empowering freedom. Galatians 5.1 says this, New Living Translation. So Christ has truly set us free. Make sure that you, don't stay, that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. Listen. Paul tell you this. I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ is no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to, for if you try to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness of God that He has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is that faith expresses itself in love. We do not obey the Bible to be made right with God. We obey the Bible because we are right with God. The inward change brings a hunger to know the God of the Bible and to please Him. We call that living for His glory. But not only that. Not only absolute security, not only empowering freedom, but also overwhelming gratefulness. He, Romans eleven thirty three to 36, he's, he's finished with his theology. He's about to do his practice, tell us how to live. But this is what he says before, as he sums up his, the, the, Paul's theology that he's been teaching. All the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God... How search, unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or whom has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. So what today? We come back to our question. What is the basis what is the rootedness? When you dig down in your life, in the tree of your life, down in the roots, what is the basis of your security? I'll read verse 29 again. New Living Translation says this, And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. If that's true, then the worst thing that you can do to rob yourself of security is man-pleasing and seeking man-praising. There's no absolute security in relationships, temporal ones, jobs, 
financial securities in a moment. In a moment, one of them can be, or all of them can be gone. Listen to what I'm saying this morning. People-pleasing is a joy-quenching, peace-robbing, security-stealing sin that promises you things that it never delivers. People-pleasing is a joy-quenching, peace-robbing, security-stealing sin that promises you things and stuff that it never delivers in your life. We do what we do, or we do what we we don't do what we don't do to please one. Everybody else is a distant second. You cannot love your spouse, nor your nor your children, nor anyone else if you don't understand that principle. First Thessalonians two four says Paul says it this way: For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. We seek to be praised by God, not to be praised by man. Matthew 6, 4 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's clear, isn't it? Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's a promise from God. The song that I think we're about to sing and I fell into um, this morning was this last verse of blessed assurance. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. I just fell into those last four words. What does it mean to be lost in his love for you? Have you ever been lost in his love? Can you even grasp what it feels like to be lost in the love of someone who is a sovereign As gracious and merciful is the God who created you. It is this God. I'll say this and I'm done, I promise. Romans 8, 31. New Living Translation again. says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? says, He didn't even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us the right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and raised us to life for us 
And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Am I... And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears of for today, nor worries about tomorrow. And not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or below. Indeed, nothing in all creation has the ability to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. It is a prayer today that to know Christ for you, that you will be lost in His love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the message and music and word today as we gathered with Your people. Lord, it is a godly tradition that what we now do, we don't do it mindlessly, nor do we do it because we think it saves us. We do it because we are saved and we long to commune with you. We do it because you commanded us to until you come. So, Lord, we have set the tables in order that the redeemed of the Lord may come to the tables to remember commune with the triune God who gave His Son so that we could be saved, secure, free. So Lord, we want to enjoy You now as we give, as we take communion, and as we enjoy each other in just a few minutes. Lord, we thank You for the fellowship of the saints communion of the saints Lord now we remember that that cost your son's life to give us this communion may we enjoy it renew ourselves once more to you who gave your only son and calls us to respond in faith in Jesus name Amen